as you sit, if you have your Bibles with you this evening, turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. This is the second to last sermon in this series as we will, Lord willing, be wrapping up this epistle next week. 2 Peter chapter 3, our focus verses this evening will be verses 10 through 13. 10 through 13. Join me once again in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, as we come to your word this evening, we pray that you would open it to us. Open our hearts to your word and open your word to our hearts, we pray. We pray that your spirit would work mightily within us this evening, that we would know your truth, that we would hear it, that we would meditate on it, and that we would live according to it with all our soul, with all our strength. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. Hear now the holy, the inspired, the inerrant, and infallible word of God written for you and for me today. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Amen. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word, and may God add his blessing to the reading of it to us. Well, standing on Christ, our rock, the teachings of his messengers, and refusing to step off or to depart from them is a huge piece of how the church stays out of trouble in this fallen world. Purity, peace, and unity are three big things that the apostles and the prophets sought to restore and maintain. And we've been encouraged by Peter's zeal in proclaiming and teaching these doctrines, haven't we? We've been enlightened and blessed by the details that he has given us and the pictures that he has painted that have helped us grow in knowledge and understanding of the truth, and that very truth that sets people free. One of Peter's strengths was his ministry through reminders. God used him to stir up his people to obedience, to stir up our pure minds, as Peter said so that we wouldn't be polluted by dark and defiled teachers. And Peter indeed stirs up our minds that we would be mindful, that we would be mindful of those solid and well-grounded teachings and commands that we must hold on to, unless we forget, lest we get drawn away through the appeal of temptations and sinful lusts. We need to be mindful of what we've been taught, Peter says. And how steadfast are we in the Apostles' Doctrine? 
That's a good question for us tonight. How steadfast are we in the apostles' doctrine? Because we are called to be so. And being mindful, we need to be aware and watchful for the scoffers that have come. The scoffers that are around and among us today, as well as those who will come, and we need to be mindful of how they walk. They are lustful people. They are people who are full of doubt and want others to join them as they call our Lord's promises into question. And in particular, Peter pointed out their contempt regarding the promise of Christ's return in judgment. How can this be true, they claim, when such a long amount of time has passed without God's glory and judgment? How could this be true? And yet again, in being mindful, Peter reminds us of what God has done and is doing. For he created all things. He created the heavens and earth. He brought worldwide destruction and devastation because of wickedness and sin in the waters of judgment in the flood of Noah's day. And since then to now, God has been preserving the heavens and the earth with a reservation, hasn't he? They are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men, Peter says. And so in, now in today's text, Peter opens the window to the future, right? So he's shown us and spoke to the past. He's also spoken to the present. But now he opens the window to the future to see what will be true of this coming day of the Lord, this coming day of fire and judgment. And so let's look at Peter's words regarding that coming and that coming day in verse 10. Our looking for the coming of the day in verses 11 and 12, and Peter's words about the new heavens and the new earth in verse 13. And so Peter begins in verse 10 by telling us how that day will come. Look at what he says in verse 10a. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Now let's pause there for a moment. What does Peter mean by the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night? I think there are a couple of things that we need to see here. There is first an aspect of the thief language that speaks to the timing of Christ's return, which no one knows the day or the hour, only the Father knows. If you look at Matthew 24, verses 36 through 44, we read there, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, Jesus says, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. And notice verse 44, therefore... You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour 
you do not expect. And so if Jesus here says that only the Father knows, does that mean that Jesus doesn't know? Even though he is fully God, he is omniscient, he is one with the Father, etc.? Yes, Jesus is saying that he didn't know. And how can this be? Well, this has perplexed many believers over the centuries. False teachers have wrongly tried to use this to deny Christ's deity. However, there is an answer that's helpful here. Remember that because of his incarnation, the eternal Son of God has two natures, human and divine. And John Calvin points out that Jesus, at times, allowed his, quote, divine nature to be in a state of repose and to not exert itself. And so it appears here that he chose not to lean on his, own, on his omniscience when he referred to the timing of his second advent, Calvin says. Instead, Jesus leaned on his humanity and kept his, this knowledge from his disciples. Now another aspect of this thief language is that there is something that is taken, like a thief does, when he steals and robs a home. And Peter uses this language like Paul did with Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 3. There we read, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. So my friends, to be clear, the day of the Lord doesn't come as a thief to believers. For we long for the day. We will take joy in the day. However, it will take, so to speak, from those who are apart from Christ, as it will come quickly and unexpectedly as it will be a great and dreadful day for them. It will be a day of pain and anguish that they cannot escape, a day of judgment and doom. And so here in 2 Peter 3, Peter is pointing us to the suddenness of that coming day. And it will come, beloved. There is an appointed day when our Lord will come and judge the world in righteousness. And what will happen to the heavens and earth on that day? Look at 10b. In which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. Now, whereas Paul tells us that Jesus, uh, with great uh, pomp and circumstance, will descend as, as he will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, we see in 1 Thessalonians 4. Peter says that the passing of the heavens and earth will be with great noise. Literally, the Greek word here for great, it refers to a rushing, a crashing, even a hissing sound. Some scholars have noticed, noted that that hissing sound would be like objects flying fast through the air. So see that before God ushers in the new heavens and the new earth, he will dismantle the old, even at the most minute level. And how will that happen? With fire and intense heat. 
with fire and intense heat, this will be like nothing that anyone has ever seen before, or we'll see again. We see in verse 10c, and the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. And so we see this consuming fire. All will be burned up in the earth, the earth and the works in it. But now what are the elements that Peter says will melt with such heat? What is he referring to here? Some philosophers thought that the elements were those that made up the world, the earth, air, water, and fire. However, as Peter is specifically talking about the elements of the heavens melting when he speaks to this, it's more likely that he is speaking of the heavens and heavenly bodies like the sun, the moon, and the stars. And further, Peter says, the earth and the works in it will be burned up. The Greek word for burned up here, it literally refers to being consumed with fire, being completely burned up. The same Greek root word is used in Matthew 3, verse 12, where John the Baptist speaks of what Christ will do when he says, His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So think about it. The earth and all that is in it, all of the works of God and created nature, all of the work of men and what has been built and established. I mean, we see all that is around us. We see the world and all that has been built and created. But it shall be destroyed. The grand buildings, all of the art, the palaces, the gardens, creatures, all other desirable things that men and women look to to place their happiness in, all of them will be burnt up. And so again, the awesome dismantling of all the created order by Christ is what we need to see here. And again, this we're going to talk about this in just a minute in another way. But again, we see from the beginning to the end. Right? We see in the very beginning, God created and he made a beautiful and wonderful creation, and it was good. It was very good, even when he created man. Beautiful, perfect. And at the end, what do we see? When Christ returns, that is dismantled. That is taken apart. And in its place, there is a recreation. There is a new heavens and a new earth, and we'll get there in just a moment. But considering this awesome dismantling of all the created order by Christ, therefore, how should this affect how we live today? Again, we see these motivating factors that Peter has laid out. Because these things are true, because of what Christ has done, because of what he calls us to do, this is how it should affect how you live today. With zeal, with commitment, with fervor, with guard, with protection against what is false, etc., focusing on Christ and what is true. But look at what he says then regarding that in verse 11. As we look for the coming of the day, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? 
looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. You know, our living, our, our pursuit of godliness and holiness is and must be fueled by our looking for and our hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. Our forward gaze affects today. It must. Our forward gaze affects today. It gives us urgency. For we eagerly wait for that day. But we don't just sit in waiting for that day. We're active in being about the Lord's business until that day. And we have an earnest desire for that day to come. And so we know that the time of Christ's return is determined by God's sovereign will. And there are other events that must take place. Namely, the gospel must continue to be preached to the nations and all of God's elect gathered in. And in the meantime, we must be diligent to pray and obey. We must be diligent to walk faithfully with and before our Lord. And so we should be mindful of Peter's words even in his first epistle, in 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16, where he calls us, saying, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. So as we think back in what he says in verse 11, since these things will be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be? You ought to be one who is committed and zealous to walk in holy conduct and godliness as you look forward to the hastening of that day. And so there's something else, though, that we must look forward to. Look at verse 13. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for the new heavens and a new earth, in which righteousness dwells. And so we hasten the day. We seek to live rightly now. And we also look to God's ushering in of a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. You know, this is what God foretold in Isaiah 65, verses 17 through 19, where he said, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing and her people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and my joy and joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. Notice that. And now let's jump forward to the end. In Revelation 21. Revelation 21, where the Apostle John speaks and prophesies about the new heavens and the new earth. And what language does he use there? Notice the connection to Isaiah. 
He said, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. See this awesome word of God. The awesome promises of God. Indeed, what will be true? As he melts the heavens and the earth, as he dismantles them. At even subatomic levels. Completely, fully. And as he recreates and ushers in the new heavens and the new earth. See how God brings us full circle in Scripture. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1-1. And in the end, God creates a new heavens and a new earth, Revelation 21, verse 1. God created Adam and Eve and placed them in paradise in the garden. And God will create a new and final paradise that far exceeds the original. The place where the living God, where Christ will dwell finally and fully with his people, with his bride forever, what will be true of him? Pain-free. No more death. No more sorrow. No more crying. It's interesting what the Lord reveals to us in that, isn't it? For all of the things that we struggle with, all of the things that hurt, all of the things that are result of the sin and corruption of this life and this world under the curse. All of those things will be gone. All of those things will be gone. Where we will be with the living and triune God, we will be with Christ, the bridegroom, as his glorious bride forever. Full communion, full joy, full happiness, bliss, in this wonderful new heavens and new earth that he has created. With them for all eternity. You know, in many ways, this sermon just touches the tip of the iceberg. Though the scoffers claim otherwise, the day of the Lord is coming. Christ will keep his promise, and his return will be sudden and unexpected. So are you ready? Are you ready? Get ready. Awe and wonder at the mighty power and work of God in that day. For when Christ comes, he comes as judge. He is also our beloved Savior. He will take us home. But he also comes to destroy and to recreate. The word of his power will no longer be active in sustaining and preserving the old, like it is now. Don't forget that. His awesome power will be crystal clear 
in how he dismantles, how he melts, consumes with fire, and burns up the heavens and earth. And may we all be the more committed to pray and obey today as we're mindful and as we're looking forward of this wonderful thing that is to come. May we be serious in our pursuit of holiness by the grace of God. Because that's what we're called to be diligent in. If we have this knowledge, what does Peter say? How ought our conduct to be in holy living and godliness? May we also look for and look forward to the, the perfect rest and the peace and the communion that we will enjoy with our Lord forever. When he makes all things new and ushers in this new heavens and new earth, there is much mystery that will be revealed in that day as to what it will be like. But we're thankful for what he has shown us. We're thankful for what he has revealed to us through men like the Apostle Peter. And this gives us such hope and such great hope and joy in all that our Lord has done and in all that our Lord will do. Amen. Praise God. Let's pray together.